Well, we've been in a series on generosity for the last month, and it's been culminating in some things we do as a church annually. We not only talk about it, we actually do something with it. So yesterday, Thanksgiving baskets were delivered to over 100 families. There's still some more that'll go out this week. Today, shoe boxes have been flying in here. Tomorrow's the deadline for that as we help with Operation Christmas Child. And it's so fitting that this happens every year um, around the holidays of Thanksgiving and Christmas because I think those two holidays really prepare our heart for generosity. First, you come to Thanksgiving, which is about gratitude, and then Christmas, which seems to be primarily about giving. And gratitude is what inspires giving. And so uh, we want to be people who are known for giving. That's part of a Christian life. That's part of maturing in our faith. Just like a mature plant produces shade, produces wood, produces fruit. A mature Christian is known by giving and generosity. That's one of our primary characteristics. And so we're not ashamed to talk about that every year and learn to do it better because there's a right way to give and a wrong way to give. You can actually give a gift that's not pleasing to the other person. And so we've talked about how the audience matters, that, that who we're giving to matters. And ultimately, we want to give to please God that the gifts we give, even though they make other people happy, we want them to honor the Lord, and we give best when we give to the things that God is delighted in, especially when people are saying yes to God, when you're helping that to happen, God is thrilled with that. So the audience matters. We talked about how the heart matters, that where your treasure is, that's where your heart follows. So if you have a possession that you treasure, maybe a house or a car, you, you start to think about it a lot. You worry about it. You're consumed with it because where the treasure is, your heart is. And so we want our hearts to be in the things that, that are valuable, that are eternal. And so in order to do that, we need to put our treasure in those things that are lasting. And then last week, we talked about the amount and how the amount matters. And it's not all about the amount, but the amount does say something because if it matters to us, if it's significant to us, it's significant to those who receive it. So if we want to uh, tell God, God, I'm, I'm making a statement about your value to me, there's usually a sacrifice involved. Well, today we're going to talk about attitude because attitude really does matter when it comes to giving. Have you ever rejected a gift because someone came up to you and said, here, take it? Or, or you know, I didn't have much time to get something, but I hope you like it. And, you know, and there's a part of you inside that says, you know what? I don't even want your gift because the attitude matters. I want your gift to come from a good place. And if your attitude is, is poor, then really it just, it just diminishes the value of the gift. So here's what we want you to know today, that a bad attitude will corrupt any gift, but a great attitude increases its impact. Bad attitude can make any gift sour, but a, but a good attitude makes that gift oh, so beautiful. I mean, if you came up to me after church day and said, Pastor, here, take this $100. I'll let you get away with that one time, okay? <laughs> but not the second time. Not the second, maybe the second time, but not the third time. Not, probably not the third time, but sometimes the, the amount of the gift might shade your receptivity to a little bit. But honestly, you know, when someone comes and the heart, heart's good, the attitude's great, you know, that makes the gift so much more beautiful. And so we're going to look at a group of believers today who had an incredible attitude in their giving. And their, their stories recorded in the Bible to teach us how to give with the right attitude. And so I want to pray for that today as we open up. We'll be in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 if you want to follow along your Bible. We're just going to look at the first seven verses of that chapter today. So Father, we come before you with open hearts, open minds. We pray that this story in Scripture would speak to us, Father, and help us to have an attitude that's pleasing to you when it comes to giving at church, giving at Christmas, or giving at any time, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give you a little background before I actually start reading this. 
Paul is going to describe a group of believers called Macedonians. Now, Macedonia was an area north of Greece in the biblical time period that was composed of a number of cities, cities that you might have heard of in the Bible, Thessalonica, Berea, Philippi, churches that were started by Paul on his missionary journeys. And, and Paul is going to affirm what these churches do because these churches, which are largely Gentile, Gentile means you're not Jewish, so the gospel is going out to these people who never knew that God loved them, and they start to fall in love with the Lord, and they're, they're devoting themselves to his, his work. Well, they hear about another church that's in Palestine, the Jerusalem church, and that church is experiencing a famine. And so there are people suffering, and that church is largely Jewish. And yet these Gentile believers realize that that's part of their family. They've never met them. They'll probably never, ever meet them. But they care about them because that's one of the things God does with you as a Christian. It, It unites you with other people. So they take up a collection that Paul then delivers to the church in Jerusalem. And Paul compliments this group because here's what you need to know about this group. They're not rich people. In fact, they are very poor people, and yet their attitude in giving is so remarkable. So let's just start at this with the first two verses of chapter 8. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Give joyfully like the Macedonians. He says that I want you to know about the grace God has given them. It's so important we start there. It's the grace of God because it's the grace of God that stirs something within us that makes us generous people. What is grace? Grace means you get a gift you didn't deserve. A good way to remember grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. Jesus paid for it, but you get it free. It's not just getting a gift free. It's getting a gift You don't deserve. In fact, you deserve the opposite. Grace means I'm going to give you something that that in no way, no, no, no inkling of effort deserves this. So instead of judgment for our sins, he gives us forgiveness. Instead of the death that is owed us for our sins, he gives us a new life. And instead of giving us hell, which we deserve for our sins, he gives us a place in heaven for eternity. That is grace. He said, I want you to know about this grace and what it does to a person. Because here's what it did to these, these Macedonians in the midst of very severe trial. What is a trial? It is, it is testing. It is God allowing something to come into your life that's going to test to see what's inside. I call it the, the, the sponge effect. You know how you can tell what's inside of a sponge? Squeeze it. You want to know what's inside of a person? Squeeze them. Pressure. Conflict, difficulty, affliction. God allows those things. He doesn't protect us from all those. He actually allows those things into our life to reveal what's truly inside of us. Now, it says in their severe trial, their overflowing joy and extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Now, that amazes me because of the people I know, including myself, when you don't feel good, when you're facing adversity, when you're under a lot of pressure, you are not kind and generous. You are not welling up with joy. In fact, you're pretty grumpy and cranky. And yet something was taking place inside of them that caused them to to have this joy that bubbled up, that I know it's tough, I know it's hard, but yeah, we want to give. We want to help that other church out. What was it? Well, it was the source of their joy. Where does joy come from in the midst of trials and sufferings? Well, Paul wrote another book called The, The Letter to the Philippians. 
And in that letter, remember the Philippians lived in this region called Macedonia? Paul again and again talks about joy, and he says, here's where you find joy, in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. I will say it again, rejoice. When you know the Lord, you, have, you tap into the source of joy that is not your own, and you start to feel that, hey, things aren't as bad as my friends think they are, or my family thinks they are, or maybe that I think they are. They're actually pretty good. And you begin to look at things very differently, and this, je- this, this joy starts to we- well up. In the very next chapter of this um, 2 Corinthians, in chapter 9, verse 7, Paul says, For God loves a cheerful giver. God loves it when we give cheerfully. And that's why several years ago we were talking about this very passage and we began to cheer during the offering. And we don't want it to be a mechanical thing. We don't want it to be something that's simply a routine, but we want it to be genuine because we want people to give cheerfully because God loves a cheerful giver. And, you know, people have come up to me and said, Pastor, you know, I thought that was kind of weird at first when I heard people clapping at, at the offering time, but it has changed my attitude about giving. I like to give now. And that makes God happy because... A great attitude makes every gift sweet, whereas a a bad attitude can corrupt any gift. What else can we learn about their attitude? Well, it says in verse 3, Paul writes, I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. They gave liberally. Now, this is probably the only time I can can tell everyone in this room that I hope you're liberal. Okay? (laughs) I hope you're liberal. Steve Shrive, I hope you're liberal. Because when it comes to generosity, liberality is a very good thing. You know, I go into a, a like Chipotle and they're putting this cheese on my, on my burrito, you know, my, uh, what do you call that? It's not a burrito. I want the, I want the open one, so it's kind of like a salad. It's a, you know, I want, I want liberal cheese. You know, I want, I want a lot of cheese. So liberal is a, is a very good thing. There's a story in Scripture about a lady, and it's found in the book of Mark, chapter 14. She... She actually um, enters into a room where Jesus is having dinner with a man who has leprosy or, or maybe did have leprosy. We may, he may have been healed by it by this point. But she, she comes in there, and she's got this big jar of perfume. In an, it's an alabaster jar, very precious. She's never opened it before. She breaks it open, and she begins to not dab it. She pours it on Jesus on his head. And the disciples are going, whoa, 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 wait a minute. This could be sold. You could sell this, and you could feed a lot of poor families with this money. And Jesus says, don't shame her for what she's doing. She's doing what is good and proper. She's doing the right thing. She's, she's loving Jesus liberally. And he was honored by her gesture. You know, many of us are very frugal people, but when it comes to generosity, this is one place we should be liberal. You know, it, it, it pains me to think that Christians have a bad reputation in restaurants. I've had people who are waiters and waitresses say, we really don't like Sundays when Christians come after church. And I thought, why? Are they talking about the sermon? Are they trying to evangelize? No, they're just the worst tippers. <laughs> I thought, really? And then I started thinking of myself and, and sometimes how frugal I am to, to just do the minimum. You know, I, I, if they're really good, I'll give them 15%. And I've just made it a habit now that uh, starting point is 20% because I don't want to be one of those Christians who is looked at by others as being chintzy. And the extra dollar or $2 that I put in a tip, I'd rather have someone say, hey, that was sweet. That was sweet. My wife and I had the privilege of going to a retreat for pastors and wives in Arizona last month. There were 12 couples and... Uh, we, got, we paid for our own way there and our own transportation around town, but they actually paid for the hotel, a very nice hotel. We walk in the hotel, and there's a box of 
of welcome things like goodies, cookies, and chocolates, and trail mix, and, and cactus-shaped lollipops, and just different things to say welcome to Arizona. And we thought, oh, that's sure sweet. And then we, uh, we attended the sessions of this retreat, and they gave us free books, and they gave us, you know, drink bottles and different things, and just little, little cute things they gave us through it. And then Monday night, they took us out to a real nice restaurant. Tuesday night, they told us to go and have a date with our spouse. But before we left the room, um, one of the men went around and handed everybody an envelope. Inside that envelope was a $100 bill. And I couldn't believe how generous these people, there were four couples hosting this retreat, a pastor, uh, two of the elders, and another couple in their church. And they were doing this free for all of us. And they didn't even know us, really. And And I thought, what prompts that kind of giving? Well, it has to be the Lord. It has to be the Lord to cause someone to give so liberally. It even says that they gave as much as they were able and beyond their ability. Now, think about that. How do you give beyond your ability? I'm going to do the best I can. Okay, that's the best you can. How do you go beyond that? The only thing I can think of is this. We pray to a God who is able to do immeasurably beyond all we ask or imagine. That maybe it's through linking with God in prayer that we do our best, and then God takes it further. That was their attitude. We want to do the best and let God take it from there. In verse 4, it says, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Give eagerly. They urgently pleaded. Paul, don't forget us. You know that church that has some needs? Include us. Send us a letter. We want to... We do something. And Paul might have said, you know, you guys aren't, you guys have your own struggles. You guys are poor. You guys have your own difficulties. We don't even know what their struggles were, just that they were under severe trial. And yet they said, no, don't, don't exclude us. It is a privilege to serve the saints in this way. I mean, isn't that a beautiful thing where someone actually pleads in order to give? Because I've known people who actually leave churches during sermon series on giving. I had someone tell, tell someone in our church, an older person said, um, all that pastor ever talks about is money. And I thought, I haven't talked about money until three weeks ago. But, but I think when we're sensitive to an issue, it's like everything is about that issue. And when you enjoy giving, when you enjoy putting a shoebox together or, or a Thanksgiving basket together, there's something inside that says, I love that. Heck, what's the next project we get to do? Because, because God does something in our hearts that, want, that, that causes us to want to take advantage of the opportunities. But if we have the feeling that, that everything I have is mine, then it always feels like someone's taking from us. But if we're stewards, where I'm actually using God's resources, then it seems like an opportunity to help God love somebody through us. And always remember this. What God wants for you is so much more than he wants from you. God wants to bless you in ways that are amazing. And so when we see these opportunities, they're, they're not obligations. They're privileges to participate. Bruce Wilkinson has a little book called The God Pocket. Now, some of you are going to get hungry right now, but it's not Hot Pocket. It's, it's God Pocket, okay? <laughs> I know where that came from. So he calls this The God Pocket because what he does is is, and it doesn't have to be literally a pocket. It might be your purse. It might be your wallet. But he says um, he and his wife developed this, this habit of they would take some money. It might be a couple dollars. It might be some loose change. It might be a $20 bill, whatever. And they, they said, you know, we want God to use us 
to bless somebody. We don't know who. We're going to put that money in our pocket or purse or whatever and pray that God shows us who it is. And they have countless stories of how God has brought people in their path. And, and that money, when they gave it to that person, was an answer to their prayers. And here's what they discovered, that then when, when you're an, a delivery agent for the Lord, and here's what happened. He says, when I put the money in my pocket, all of a sudden in my mind, something, something triggered. Okay, I've got God's money. What does he want me to do with it? He became a delivery agent and began to pray that the Holy Spirit would prompt him. And so sometimes it'd be standing in line at a fast food restaurant. Sometimes it'd be someone they met in a parking lot. Um, I know some people that actually do that, that prepare to give. They prepare bags of food so when they go to a corner and there's a beggar there, they, they reach out and here's a sandwich and cookies and a drink for you because we've prepared to give. We've prepared to be a delivery agent. That's what God desires for us, that we serve his purposes because that's what a willing attitude does, an eager attitude makes that gift beautiful. There's even more, though. It says in verse 5, they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. They gave selflessly. They gave themselves first, not to themselves, gave themselves to the Lord. And then next to themselves, no, next to others. They, they gave themselves away. They were selfless. That's what it is to be selfless, to give yourself away. Gave themselves first to the Lord. Now, I love that Jesus is my Savior. I love that he's my friend. But the, 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 the title of Jesus that's used more than any other in Scripture is Lord. And Lord means master, owner, the one I follow, the one I obey. When I get baptized, I'm announcing my rights are surrendered to his will. And so when you do that first, then all of a sudden you look at your life. Okay, I gave my life to Jesus. Now whatever he asked of me, that's the easier thing. I've already done the big thing. When I've given everything to him, that means anything he wants, he can have. And so when God says, okay, I want you to sell this, give this, do this, we do it. We have young couples who are missionaries in, in Namibia, Africa, in Indonesia. And they didn't go there, first of all, because they loved the, the people of Indonesia or they loved the people of Namibia. They, they, they went because they, first of all, loved Jesus, gave themselves to him, and then Jesus says, now I want you to give yourself to those people. See, that's what happens when you give yourself first to the Lord. God says, okay, now that you're mine, I will take you and use you in some other way, in some other ministry. Give yourselves first to the Lord and then to others. When you're in that position, you're positioned to impact others in a powerful way. And then there's a last part of their attitude that's captured in verses 6 and 7. We urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and in complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Give excellently. That's what it means to excel. Excel in giving. You know, we love to see our children learn to give because, you know, we live in a culture that's a taking, it's a taking culture. I mean, I'm so bothered with the, when, like, the riots that have been taking place when people think they can go and smash someone's business windows or their car or steal from their business, say, what right do you have to do that? Why are you taking from them? They didn't do anything to you. And yet that's our culture. I want to take, take, take. I want, to, I want a free handout. And God causes something within us to be countercultural. It makes us want to give. It makes us want to be generous. And so when we see that with innocent children, it's so beautiful. How many of you parents or grandparents or teachers have a a stick figure drawing or a Crayola picture on your refrigerator from some child. 
Don't you love that? Because they came up and, and they gave it to you. I have kids after church on some Sundays come up, and they'll have doodled on like the back of an offering envelope, some stick figures, and here's Jesus, here's Pastor Darren, or here's me. And they'd, they'd make some cute little drawing, and they hand it to me, and I always look them in the face and say, don't waste church stationery, okay? <laughs> Your parents should teach you better. No, I don't say that, of course. I give them a hug and say, oh, that's beautiful. In fact, I was just looking this morning at a couple of those offering envelopes in my office. And when my grandson gives something, I told you the other day that he, he likes to, you know, he has a bowl of popcorn. He likes to give me his popcorn. And it's so beautiful, and except the other night, he gave me a piece of popcorn, stuck it in my mouth. It was soggy. Oh. I said, no more. I draw the line there. No soggy popcorn. But, you know, we rejoice when we say, hey, my kid's learning his ABCs, or my, my kid's learning his math tables. We should really be excited to say, my child's learning to be generous. He, he, she's learning to share She's learning to give to other people because that's so Christ-like when we see that developed within our kids. I came across a video the other day that just is a powerful story of, of the impact of an attitude of generosity because when you give with the proper attitude, it has, a, it has such a huge impact on the person that receives it, but at the same time, it blesses the giver. So it's about six minutes long, but it's going to impact your life in a powerful way. So watch the screens behind I had an accident and my hip was broken in so many pieces. I have two rods in my hip. She's an angel among us. If you watch her in the bread company, everyone comes in to see Catherine. You know, we sell the bread, but I feel like there are some people who specifically come with prayer requests and uh, I go pray for them. One day when we were sharing, she said she was in need of a different car, that her car was needing expensive repairs. I had been saving money, but uh, I knew it wasn't enough, so I knew I would take a few years to save for it. So a couple months later, I went in and I said, Catherine, how's your car fund coming? And she said, I gave it all away. And I looked at her, and, and she said, there was a widow in need, and I gave her the $5,000. I struggled a lot when I gave that money. And uh, I said, I feel okay, but uh, do you think I did the right thing? I mean, I cannot give what I don't have, so I just give what I had. I was shocked, and so I come home and I tell Pete that we needed to help Catherine with her car fund. He looked at me and he said, no, I think we need to buy Catherine a car. And I said, okay, great. Pete called Scott and said, do you know Catherine Great Harvest? And he said, yes, he did. Pete said, well, we'd like to buy her a car. He asked Pete, do you want to use your new car? And it just hit him right in the face. 
Why would he ask me that? Of course I would want a used car. That's good enough. He just paused for a moment and he said, I want a new car. And he said it was silent on the phone for a few seconds. And Scott said, whoa, I want to help. And so he pitched in some. So she came to the bakery and uh, she asked me, if you were to buy a car, what kind of a car would you like? I said, Debbie, I'm not really planning to buy a car. But she said, oh, just tell me. And she said, I'd like a SUV cruise control. And she said, I'd like a light color. And we called Scott. And he said, I think I've got the perfect car. So Pete said, can we deliver it tomorrow? So we have the bread company owner and his family, Scott and his family and our family. And Catherine sees us all coming in and she's just all excited to see everyone. And I went to give them hugs and I said, what's Pete doing here? I did have the, the biggest idea. When I went out, And so we walked her over to the car. We said, Catherine, this is your new car. So, oh, I said, for me, this is for me. I said, well, I, I knew God had many cars, but I didn't know he had a new one for me. So God had new cars <laughs> for me. We all stood there in tears as we saw the joy on Catherine's face. And we got to be a part of it. And the joy of that was unbelievable. It's so right. It was such an excitement to drive it. We told Catherine that we would like this to be confidential. But I kept running into people who would say, I heard what you did for Catherine. It wasn't even us, it was Catherine. It all started with Catherine giving of what she had to a widow to help her, and it just continues on. Generosity begets generosity. We don't give in order to receive. We give because it's the nature of Jesus Christ. He gave us his life. So we, we have the, the DNA of Jesus Christ of giving. <laughs> yeah, so this is one story I will never forget in my life. See how generosity brings praise to God? I wonder who had the most joy in that story. In fact, the, the lady who, her and her husband committed to buying the car um, said it was unbelievably joyful. Of course, Catherine's having a pretty good time with it, too. You know what part of it got me? When they asked the guy, you want a new car or a used one? I thought, Wow. That's giving with excellence. 
How many of us in our giving to God are just kind of cheap? We're just going to get by? Even our giving on Sunday morning, we're just going to do enough God to keep God at bay. But, but God wants us to be excellent. <laughs> to stand back and go, wow, that, that's, I'm even impressed with what I did there. I, yes, I want to be excellent in, in giving. Get her the new car. And then, and then did you see your license plate? Let me show you a picture of that license plate. You saw it. J. Jaira. It's an Old Testament name for God. God will provide Jehovah Jireh. And she said that, that God provided Jesus. He gave Jesus to us. When Jesus comes into our lives, he begins to change us to make us more like him. And, and giving becomes part of our spiritual DNA. We give because that's who he made us to be. That's who he's trying to live out within these bodies of ours. But it all starts with what Paul began this chapter with. I want to remind you of the grace of God. Though you don't deserve anything, here's what God did for you. And so Paul's so clear in all of his writings. In the book of Galatians, he says, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, who loved me so much. And here's what he did for me. He gave himself for me. And that's why almost every Sunday we invite you, give your life to Jesus. Today, if you've never done it, give your life to Jesus. He loves you so much. Give, give all of you to Jesus. Give your hopes, your dreams, your sins, your mistakes, your marriage, your job, your finances. Give it all to him. And then say, God, now it's yours to use as you prompt me. Make it available.